Hi, this is Robert Dobby, and you're listening to What a Character, the podcast dedicated to character actors. Hey, everyone, this is C. Thane Dixon. And on today's episode of What a Character, I will be interviewing Peter Dobson. In this interview, Peter will talk to us about working with Peter Jackson, acting alongside Sylvester Stallone in a lost movie, and nabbing Joe Pesci for an upcoming film. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, before we get on with the show, I just want to tell you all about how you can help make this podcast a smash hit. As many of you may know, the success of a podcast all depends on the support of the audience. A good number of subscriptions, likes, and listens can help us attract high-profile guests, thus making the podcast a success. So let's say that you enjoy this show and you want us to make more episodes. Well, you can help us make that possible by subscribing to us and leaving reviews on podcast platforms such as Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher, by liking and subscribing to us on YouTube, or by following us on social media. You can find the links to our YouTube channel as well as our various social media feeds in the episode description. And if you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe. Your help will be greatly appreciated. Now, on with the show. Today, my guest is an actor, writer, producer, and director who has played everything from greasers to gangsters to even Elvis Presley. As a child growing up in Red Bank, New Jersey, he dreamed of one day becoming an actor. And when he became an adult, he went on to study acting at the Academy of Fine Arts and the Lee Strasberg Institute in New York. Eventually, he moved out to L.A. and started acting under the legendary acting coach, Sandra Seacat. After playing various supporting roles on film and TV projects, he gained his first leading role in the 1989 film Sing, in which he starred alongside Lorraine Bracco. He went on to star in such films as Last Exit to Brooklyn, L.A. Takedown, The Marrying Man, Forrest Gump, The Frighteners, and Drowning Mona. In 1990, he gained his first regular TV role on the CBS sitcom Lenny, which starred Lenny Clark. After this, he nabbed leading roles on such shows as Johnny Bago, Head Over Heels, and Cover Me. In recent years, he has written, directed, and even produced many short and feature-length films that have played in film festivals all across the nation. If you're a fan of Netflix's Money Heist and you tend to watch the series with the English dub instead of the Spanish language option, then you may know him as the voice of Arturo. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Peter Dobson. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show. How you doing, Colin? Thank you for having me, buddy. Appreciate uh, it. No problem. How's it going? How's the acting life treating you? Well, you know, outside the, uh, the world of COVID, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it's, it's creeping back slowly. I, I, I heard you mention Money Heist, uh, which I think was the greatest gig in the world because all during COVID, didn't matter to me. I was behind a glass booth the entire time. <laughs> You're safe. So, uh, it, we, we, uh, not that I wasn't worried about it. I was just glad it was the only, you know, last year when everything was closed down, that was the one gig that kept going. And um, I, I was very thankful for that, for that job because it's paying my rent. <laughs> <laughs> that, that must be one of your favorite gigs because, you know, when you're doing voiceover work, you don't have to sit around, uh, you know, and hair and makeup for hours and hours. And you're not waiting around on right. set for hours and hours for the lighting people to get everything just right. That, that's right. That, yeah, I mean, you show up at a baseball hat and you, you know, the same jeans you wore the day before. <laughs> Everybody's just, it's like a bunch of vagabonds in there. But uh, <laughs> what's funny about it, pal, I, I, I said this previously on a, on a different interview about the money heist thing. <clears throat> you know, what's funny about it, Colin, is that it, it just wasn't a voiceover job um, where I just had the earphones and a mic and all that. I had that too, but also for some of the more extravagant scenes, that the headphones would come off and they had the room all all mic'd up. So I was literally, it was like, you know, he was like a, um, 
you know, like my doppelganger up there. And I would pretty much match all his movements and, you know, run around the studio pretty much exactly what he was doing at the same time uh, to try to match the performances as, as best as I could. So it was kind of like a new, a new, a new format of things that they were doing at Netflix to try something different where it just didn't seem like, you know, like you're watching a freaking Godzilla movie or something. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, and, and quite honestly, the job was exhausting, man. <laughs> and I, I don't know if the original actor ever saw it. You're always worried when they initially uh, came uh, uh, came my way with it and, and, and offered it to me. I, I was really re- reluctant. Um, you know, I, I know what ADR is and all that, but, uh, you know, they sent me, uh, you know, the pilot of the show and the, and the guy, Arturo, uh, the guy who plays him, was phenomenal. Right. And I'm like, I got to match that? <laughs> I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to insult this guy. Uh, they said, well, I should just come and give it a try. And if it doesn't work out, we'll pay you for the day. So I was like, okay, that's an offer I can't review. So, you know, that was three years ago. And it really was one of the, I, I still want to do it. I, I, from that, I've, I've done a few other shows for Netflix. There's a thing called uh, Sky Rojo that's on now. Um, the Triad Princess, which is a, a Chinese or Japanese, forgive me, don't want to see racist, but I, I, <laughs> it's Chinese, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I lost track, but uh, that was interesting doing a voice for him. Hmm. Um, but uh, it, it's it's definitely been a, a wild ride doing these voiceover gigs. That's for that's for sure. It sounds like you're um, doing very well. Well, as well as I can. <laughs> <laughs> Not all glitz out here, pal. LA, LA's, uh, can, can be, a. it's, uh, I've been here for, I don't know, 26, 27 years. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, you know, one day I'd like to just, uh, hike up to, I was just in big bear. I was like, boy, I could, I had to go up there for a rewrite. Just, 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 I just got back yesterday, buddy. I didn't want to leave. <laughs> I just wanted to turn it to, I just wanted to turn it to Robert Redford from Jeremiah Johnson and just stay there and hunt squirrels. <laughs> I didn't want to leave. <laughs> right. Really right. Right. But, uh, so much sanity up there, but not much, uh, Sanity, oh, we're in LA. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just you and your thoughts, which could be quite frightening too. Too too much time on my own, I could wind up like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. And, uh, but it was only for a couple of days. But it was a it was a glorious two days for sure. And I I, I got it done. I had to do a, a quick rewrite on something we're working on now. To, they're coming down on the budget, so that means I had to condense characters, take characters out, and which is always difficult because you fall in love with these people that you create. And then you, you know, so in some cases I had to create two characters and a one character, which were two different personalities. So that was kind of, kind of odd, but <laughs> I think maybe we pulled it off. We'll see. Very cool. So when you decided to become an actor, did you ever think about what you would do if you couldn't make it or did you just take a leap of faith? Yeah, uh, boy, I'll tell you, it, it, it was it was a different animal uh, back then, Colin. You know, I, I, I came out uh, to L.A. in the 80s, uh, obviously before social media and, you know, all that stuff. You know, you just learn what you see on TV and, and films that you're influenced by. And I never had any illusions of grandeur ever. But I was fortunate that at that in those days as a kid, it's something I always wanted to do mm-hmm. um, from the minute my my dad uh Took me to see a movie called The Wild Bunch at a drive-in. That, that's how far back I go. <laughs> I go. Uh, you had a uh, cool dad letting you see that movie at such a young oh, age. Oh, yeah, yeah, tell me about <laughs> it. He, my, my dad was my dad was a real cinephile, as well as my mom too. They were divorced, but um, uh, I saw a lot of movies. But that that that, that film in particular uh, haunted me, and I was only like I don't know seven or eight. Uh, it was a re-release. Um, mm-hmm. This was in the early 70s when I saw it, like in uh, 73 or 74, something like that. Again, show you how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that movie changed my life. And I, I, and I, and I knew that's something that I, I, I wanted to pursue. And um, as you mentioned, you know, I started going. I was not really very good in high school. Uh, <clears throat> my dad was very supportive and, and, and allowed me to uh, audition for the Academy of Dramatic, not, not fine arts, but the Academy of Dramatic Arts there in, in New York City and was fortunate to get in there and, and, uh, I just went crazy, you know, uh, I just dove, I dove in and, and then came out to LA in uh, 1984 and, uh, continued my studies with Sanders Seacat. See, in those days, buddy, we actually used to study, you know, I don't know how actors do it now. Everything's like what, what we're doing, not doing now is zoom, zoom classes. And it's just, <laughs> right. 
listen, if, if I was a youngster today, I wouldn't touch this business with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> I don't, uh, everything is just so computerized and, and, and so impersonal. Um, and now with the, these friggin' mandates, uh, yeah, who knows what's, what's it's, it's a little, it's a little spooky out there right now in our industry, but, um, I just keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, that's basically I'm behind the camera now. So uh, that's my world. You know, it can be said that Sandra's Seacat was partially responsible for the success of many actors. What, what effect did her teachings have on you and, and your career? She, she was, um, she was, she was, she, she came from the actor's studio, uh, took a lot of that um, uh, sensibility with her. Um, in her, she, I mean, she, she was responsible for, of course, the big attraction, like, oh, wow, she's, you know, Mickey Wark, who I used to idolize. That was the modern mm-hmm. day, you know, Marlon Brando. Um, and, you know, getting in that class was, 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 what was one thing. And, and, um, as I continued studying with her, she, she was instrumental in, in helping me actually get an agent. She, she became very hands-on, hmm. um, and, and, and all of that, uh, and even after I started making movies and all that, uh, I would always try to, you know, brush up and stay with her as long as I could. Um, she was, uh, how do I say? She was brilliant. I, I, I think that's the only word I can use. Uh, there, I've never experienced anything. I mean, we would, she would try to make you remember your dreams that you had during the week. It was a week class. And she would say one of her courses was try to remember what your dreams are or one that stands out and, you, you come and re- recreate it in the classroom. So in my little devious mind, <laughs> I said, wow, this is a great, this is a great way to meet chicks, man. So <laughs> and I, I can reveal this now. So I'd say, Oh, wow. We can reenact a dream, which can mean anything. Right. So she had very attractive women in her class. And I'd say, well, ironically, my dream, it did. It was, it was two singing blondes. <laughs> One was a midget. You know, the girl, you know, and one was an Amazon and, uh, you know, and she, she, she always knew I was full of shit though. She, I remember she said, she goes, Peter, did you really have that dream or do you just want to meet Deborah? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, she was the real deal. And, she, and I, I got, um, quite a bit from her and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful as a youngster. Uh, but to answer your question, buddy, I, I really, the, 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 even then, the, it was more difficult in those days because um, you, 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 you used to have what they call the screen test. We were, they were still screen testing in those days. So you had to go up against a lot of those elements. Um, the, the plus was is that unlike today, the director's right there in the room. You don't have to zoom them. You, you, they tell you what right. they like and what they don't like. Uh, and you can make the adjustment right there in the room, uh, opposed to having like they do today putting yourself on tape all over again and sending another tape in. And they, they say, no, that's not right. Then the poor actor has to redo it and send another tape in, you know? Um, but uh, it, 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 it was something that um, because of Sandra uh, got me very motivated and, and just, just going it, you know, with, with my horns out. Uh, and, 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 and the first film that I, I was fortunate to get was, a, as you mentioned with, with Lorraine Bracco, a very young Lorraine Bracco called, it's kind of a cult movie now. It was called Sing. Right. And auditioning for that movie was like a movie itself. I had to keep going there. And, and, and buddy, I had two fucking, excuse my French. I had two left feet. <laughs> so, and, so did Lorraine, and so did Lorraine. <laughs> so we had to take dance lessons and all this stuff. And then you, and then you've got to go audition in front of all the people, just, just like in the movies with all the people behind the desk, looking at you and you're doing your thing, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, once you got past that, that portion uh, they, they would put you in, they would build a set uh, or an apartment or whatever the scene required. And, and then they, you, they would screen test. And um, I forgot how many actors there were. There was quite a few. It was, there was a nationwide search and all of that. It, it was, it was a big deal in those days because, um, uh, dirty dancing was a huge hit footloose right. was, was gigantic. And this was by the same people who did footloose and mm-hmm. they also did fame. Craig Zayden and Neil Marin uh, were behind this film, Sing. The unfortunate thing was, is that when Sing came out, it bombed. <laughs> People were fed up at that point with the musicals. But all of that said, I, I'll stand by this. It's my best film, hands down. It, the, the, movie, it, the, the movie is wonderful. 
it, it, it aged well. Those people who have no idea what I'm talking about, you can still, you know, get it on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but um, that 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 was a, obviously a life changing experience, and, and then from there it led to uh, to other uh, wonderful roles and uh, films and TV and so forth. So you must I went from that. I actually went from that to Last Days to Brooklyn, which was a, a brutal. That movie might as well have been rated X. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did that with a very young Jennifer Jason Lee, and uh, that was based on a, a Hubert Selby, very brutal book right. uh, under the same title, Last Exit to Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> and funny, I mean, I don't know if you know anything about the movie, but they, they kept trying to give it an X rating. The movie was hardcore. Right. And I'll, I'll never forget when they were doing screenings of it. Uh, people thought they were they were going to go see a movie like Stand By Me because it took place in the 1950s. <laughs> so, you know, they, they thought they were going to go see Grease. Right. They, you, know, you, know, the, you know, Jennifer Jason Lee's being raped by 50 sailors by halfway through. <laughs> but the director, that's exactly, and the people, of course, were walking out. He's like, but this is exactly the reaction I want. This is what we want. Um and, and, you know, and again, uh, um, it, 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 Jennifer turned in the role of her career. And, and uh, that that was um, what really actually interested me in, in the process of filmmaking, too. Uli U- mm-hmm. Idol was a genius behind the camera. Uh, and that's <clears throat> I wouldn't leave the set. Uh, I would just stay there all day and, and watch them film. Uh, and 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 uh, <clears throat> like I said, man, that film was uh, was brutal. It was, uh, uh, not only early Jennifer Jason Lee, but it was a very young Stephen Lang. Right. Who just, right. Off, who just came off of Broadway doing a few good men, which believe it or not, a few good men was actually a play first not yeah, yeah. Until, uh, before it was a film. And he, he'd start on Broadway. So he was fresh off of that. And one uh, of I think still one of his best roles is that, that film. Uh, so many great performances uh, in that movie. And uh, <clears throat> I was very fortunate to be a part of that one too. How did Uli Edel get the film down from the X rating to the R rating? <laughs> Manipulation. Oh, I see. He what calls the personality, he, I take it. He would flat out lie to the, well, a couple of things. It was, it was a complete, Martin Scorsese got, had the rights to it very early mm-hmm. on, but didn't know quite what to do with it. This, and then he let the rights go. Right. Uh, and he was, uh, and then he obviously got into making uh, Goodfellas. Right. <clears throat> uh, with Last Exit, they were German. It was a German company. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the studio, Bavaria Studios, was behind it. So they didn't have a lot of bosses to talk to, but there was some. I think it was kind of its sister company or parent company, might have been Columbia. And Uli Idol would just lie and said, Yeah, I cut it. They're like, what are you talking about? He goes, I cut it. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, no, she's getting raped. (laughs) Yes, but there's two less sailors now. Okay, there was was 48 sailors. Now there's 45. (laughs) (laughs) Pulled it off. And, uh, you know, I mean, that movie was so far ahead of its time. I mean, if it came out now, it it, it won all across Europe. Uh, Jennifer got what's equivalent to the Academy Award in London and France. Same with Stephen. Um, America wasn't quite ready for it yet. Uh, and again, funny, it's basically the story of my life. Most of my films now, no one ever sees them. It's, uh, I'm like Picasso. They're not going to appreciate me until I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Last Eggs, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a fantastic movie. Um, not for the faint of heart, but um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's beautifully shot, set in the early 50s uh, on the Brooklyn Water Docks. It's a little reminiscent of On the Waterfront. Right. But X-rated. <laughs> <laughs> now you, you've been very lucky to work with such great directors in your career. One, one of them being Michael Mann. What was it like working with him on LA Takedown? I, I had initially met Michael uh, Colin. Previous uh, uh, Bonnie Timmerman was his go-to casting director, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, she threw me on an episode of uh, Miami Vice. Again, uh-huh. showing my age, I played a villain, and um, from that, now Michael really was never on set on Miami Vice, mm-hmm. but he, he, in production back in LA, mm-hmm. he was hands on that show every step, especially the first two seasons. That's why right, the, first right. two, the first two, actually the first three seasons of, of Miami Vice, the, the first three seasons are the best. That's why it's so oh, yeah. cinematic. Yeah. And it's got Michael's, 
he was very hands-on. Uh, I did the final season, uh, but what was great about that episode, they kind of went back to an original format and um, Michael liked it or whatever and, and, and asked to meet me and, and blah, blah, blah. And um, he was working on this film. Another crazy story uh, called L.A. Takedown. Mm-hmm. Now, to anybody who's are familiar with the film Heat, Michael already had Heat in his, in his mind and he knew he was going to make the movie. Michael was so powerful in those days. He still is. But, you know, back in those days, Miami Vice was, a, you know, a juggernaut of a show. He could do whatever he right. wanted. He decided to make it into a TV movie first <laughs> as kind of a dress rehearsal. And um, I mean, I found this out, you know, when he, you know, when they finally did, he uh, it was explained to me that Michael planned it all along. Um, if you ever see it's it, it, the, the, the TV movie is the exact same movie just without the curse words. But it's the same. Even the shootout right. was and, and Michael choreographed that not almost as elaborate as the movie. And this was an NBC two part movie and the production value on it's sensational. Uh, and I played the Val Kilmer role. I played the uh, chair. I can never pronounce that character. Chris Silheris. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, uh, Alex MacArthur. Um, right. Uh, who was from the Pop and Old Preach videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would come on set in a Harley with all the women. And uh, and the late Scott Plank, who, who died uh, some some years ago. I'm not sure how, but uh, he was he played the Al Pacino role. Um, and again, buddy. I would stay on set. And I would watch Michael work. The guy was a fucking maestro, just an absolute maestro in everything he did. I mean, there was nothing that was too big or too small for him to handle. He was very into detail, obviously a pro in the crime world. All the technical advisors were all ex-cons. So, you know, right. And uh, I forgot. And, and some of them were quite frankly, he, uh, actors that he put in. Um, I think it was called Crime Story. Right. I can never remember that the, the fatter guy's name from that show, but he he was an ex-con. He was a safe cracker. And that's the guy that would advise Michael when he made, you know, John you know, Santucci. You got it. Thank yeah, you. yeah. Thank God for you with these the- <laughs> John Santucci. Thank you, pal. Yeah, him. And that was Michael's technical advisor. Um uh, for, for Thief and and every other heist movie uh he did uh in, in that genre. Um, uh, and was quite frankly a good actor as well. So, so um, uh, working with Michael was just for you know a kid in his twenties was was freaking it was mind blowing, you know. And when I and every time I see Heat, I laugh because I'm like, hey, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody knows it, <laughs> but um, uh, it it uh, it certainly that was another game changer. In my early days, I I. I that, that was, I call that my little hot streak, uh, you know, getting the odds are always against you, but then working with the great directors was the bonus. Cause they were from Michael Mann. Then I got on to, to Robert Zemeckis to Peter Jackson and, 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 um, um, you know, quick story about Peter Jackson, the complete opposite. Now I knew who he was, uh, um, prior, he had a, a mild film, which kind of was his American debut called heavenly creatures. Right. But I was a big fan of his from his smaller films called Meet the Feebles and these these very underground horror. Oh films. yeah, yeah, like and Brain Dead was, and oh, buddy and again a fucking the, the man is a genius. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but 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 again, uh, going out to New Zealand and, and and doing the Frighteners with him, they had to throw me literally throw me off the set. I wouldn't leave. <laughs> I take it he was very fun to work with. He was a blast. He'd be like, hey, Pete, hey, mate, you have a life outside of here? (laughs) (laughs) You've been here for 13 hours. You you wrapped eight hours ago. (laughs) I'm just just watching, Pete. He goes, all right, mate, just want to make sure. Just want to make sure you're not bored. I'm like, bored. You know, and, you know, the the Frighteners, another story, you know, here, you know, uh, Robert Zemeckis actually was was behind uh, Peter Jackson's uh, success. Um, It was Zemeckis was a huge horror fan. Mm -hmm. Not many people know that, but, you know, Bob was very into horror films and and, and knew Peter was the guy to, uh, you know, get behind. Well, it was actually Peter's script and Bob Zemeckis backed it up 100 percent. Now, with that film. 
the film came out amazing. It's funny. It's hard. You know, some people get a little confused if it's a because it's very scary. It's funny, yeah. but yet it gets really scary. Oh yeah, it starts out funny, so, and in the middle, it gets really yeah, freaky. It yeah. into, like, <laughs> and uh, but it had a lot of buzz. So the studio, for whatever, they were going to release it on Halloween, but they, but for whatever reason. Universal says, you know what? Let's let's release it during the summer. They put it up against Independence Day. Ooh, that's not a good. And it got idea. creamed at the box office. Mm. It got creamed. No one saw. It. However, all that time passed. That's that movie is genuinely, you know, it's a cult. It's a cult fanatic. They play during Halloween, like they play. You know, it's a Wonderful Life. Um. Uh, you know, again, story of my life. Everything, <laughs> everything I do gets it's like it's like a bottle of wine. It gets you have to discover a little later on. <laughs> uh, uh, and of course, he went on to to you know do the Lord of the Rings and and all of that. But you could see all his traces in, in the Frighteners, um, who you know in those days they were they, you know they, it was blue screen you know and but Peter had technology even then that was unfathomable to to do i don't know how i really don't know how he did it but you know he certainly pioneered to to what the effects are in today's world peter's you know like stan winston with the makeup i mean P peter's a pioneer he he opened the doors for just about everybody um and that movie certainly is a, a blueprint uh if you watch it, it it it's 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 almost like they made it yesterday the effects are so damn amazing and i'm not really in a an effect movie guy, but with Peter, right. Peter mixes effects with story. He, you know, right, right. Uh, you know, he never lives to get so in the way of the story. Always for, and I, I always lose myself. But when it comes to Jackson and a few others, his, they're, 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 they suck you right in. You buy every, you believe everything you're seeing. Right. You know, and that, that just comes from you know a very creative, you know, genius mind. And now. I just watched this trailer a week ago. He's, I, I think they're still holding off. He did a whole documentary about the Beatles, a whole re-release of Let It Be. Now, Peter Jackson's behind. Paul McCartney right. said, this is the guy to do it. And it turns out that Let It Be, there is a movie that was came out in 1970 where it looks like the Beatles are depressed and all of that. Mm -hmm. That When that film was released back in 1970, they caught them on some bad days. So the filmmakers decided to make it like it's the end of the Beatles. Mm -hmm. When in reality... There's tons of footage where they're like they're making a hard day's night. The Beatles were having a ball mm -hmm. and Peter found all that footage. So let it be is like is going to be the celebration of them where they're happy and singing and getting along. And, uh, and I, if, you, if you haven't seen the trailer, you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'll it looks check it out. yeah. So, you know, there there's that. <laughs> uh, uh, but I'll revert to Bob, to, uh, but back to, to Bob Zemeckis was, was prior to Peter. Um, they, they were auditioning a show called Johnny Bago. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was originally designed for some, an older actor. They actually wanted John Travolta for it uh, in those days. He turned it down. Oh, was that pre-pulp fiction when he was, this wasn't is, doing got anything? It. This, uh, yeah, this is definitely pre-pulp wow. fiction. Wow. Uh, and he turned it down and then they went to some, they made, they were going around. Uh, so in the interim, you know, the casting director was seeing actors. Her name was Victoria Burroughs, sensational casting director. Uh, and she had brought me in and, and whatever I did, I did. And she said, Bob, I got a guy, you know, now it was written, it was a it was written for a guy in his, I believe in his forties. And I was 20, I think 24. And she said, just meet him. Just, just, just meet him. And I had to go through a ringer to get that role, but Victoria, Victoria is the reason I got that show. And now I got to work with Robert Zemeckis on a, on a friggin' TV show. He's never done TV before, but he wanted, he could do it again. He's Robert Zemeckis. He wanted to do right. this, this, this kind of fun adage about a guy in a Win Winnebago who goes, you know, he's on, he's on the lamb from his ex-wife. Who's a, who's his parole officer. <laughs> uh, and he's this mobster that's been framed. So all these mob guys are, out to get him. It was kind of like a bat every week was like Joey hiccups and he would go. <clears throat> and the next week was, you know, Tommy tomahawks and all these crazy <laughs> villains. And it was very reminiscent of used cars, believe it or not. It had that vibe of his early Zemeckis. He used no special effects. It was, it was like I said, I don't know if you ever saw used cars, his yeah, early work with Kurt Russell. Um, but the Zemeckis thing uh, was, was, 
just mind blowing. <clears throat> and again, the show what the show was a hit. But Zemeckis wanted to take the show. He goes, look, I we can go state to state. We did our first. He goes, but now let's take it on the road. If the, if Johnny Bago is going to go to Miami, I want to shoot it in Miami. I, I I can't. There's only so much I can do in L.A. And the studio said, look, we're almost there. And this is back in 1993, I, I believe. It was almost a million an episode. It was unheard of. This was a one hour comedy. Again, unheard of. Today, they do it all the time. Right. Um, and CBS said, no, we're, we'd like to keep it here. And so Mecca says, well, I'll take the show somewhere else. <laughs> and then, of course, he got wrapped up in Forrest Gump. And I'm sitting there like, wait a minute. What about, <laughs> we got a hit show. <laughs> and, and Bob stuck to his guns. And he said, fuck it. Um, but as, as, as kind of the punchline to that, one of the episodes we did in Johnny Bago, Bob knew I was a huge Elvis fan. I'd always listened to Elvis in my trailer. Uh, great people outside of Bob Zemeckis. There was Peter Seaman and Jeffrey Price, who and they did Who, who Framed Roger Rabbit, Back to the mm-hmm. Future. Uh, you know, uh, Frank Marshall, you know, right. you know, uh, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark and every, you know, every E.T. Uh, I'm working and this 24 year old kid and. Peter said, you really like Elvis. That was Peter Seaman. He goes, ah, we're going to do a goofy episode about you and Elvis. I go, how? I'm in the mob. He goes, he goes, buddy, this is entertainment. I'll do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> so he, he wrote this goofy episode where my character, Johnny Bago, goes to South Dakota. And while he's there, he gets, he's really bored. He's in this little trailer park. And he has this old camera in his trailer. And he goes out. He starts taking pictures. And as he's taking pictures, he kind of, he doesn't know what it is. And he clicked. And he takes the camera back to his trailer. <laughs> he pulls out the giant Polaroid. And as it develops, you know, that very famous picture of Bigfoot when it's walking. <laughs> right, right. Except as he blows it up even more, it's got gold glasses on. It turns out it's Elvis Presley living, li- living in a trailer park <laughs> in South Dakota. And, and he's in retirement. So we did a, the whole spoof was Johnny tries to teach Elvis to be Elvis again. And... <laughs> Uh, it was, you know, that, that's the kind of show it was. It was, a, it was a blast. So when Zemeckis did Forrest Gump, uh, they had called and said, "Well, obviously you're you're unemployed. Would you you want to play Elvis again?" <laughs> that's really how it went down. I go, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "We got this as part of a, a young Elvis in, in 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 this project I'm working on." And you know, naturally, I jumped right right in and you know did the. Show me the thing, you know, the hound dog thing and all that. Right. Now, the story behind that movie, now that movie's a huge hit. And all you see is my sideburn and, a, and my foot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, that was uh, an amazing experience. You, you were in the film The Marrying Man with Alec Baldwin. That set has always been referred to by crew members who worked on it as the set from hell. What do you remember about working on that film? Complete opposite. A lot of that was, uh, I wasn't there for the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, buddy. Here, I'm just moving my chair about, uh, I, I wasn't there for that part of the, I guess when they were working just, you know, when Alec and Kim were working. Now remember he, he met her on that film and, uh, like the movie, they felt, they fell in love immediately. Um, so a lot of that shenanigans apparently went on when, when we weren't there, uh, my experience was with Paul Reiser and 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 um, Stephen uh, 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 Fisher Stevens, right? And uh, Stephen Heitner, and we had a blast. We had an an absolute blast making that. Well, we we just we had a blast. Uh, my my again, it was a great experience. Um, I think the film is fine. Um, the critics didn't. I, I think the movie already was cursed with bad press. Uh, there was, that movie became more about the bad press than the film itself. Um, but, you know, got, got a chance to, you know, uh, work with Neil Simon, who uh, I guess, you know, there are some problems there, too. Uh, he had some problems with the director. Um, but I'll, I'm going to be honest with you, buddy. The, the, the late, great Robert Evans. Do you know who that is? Yeah, I produced The Godfather and I love got story. it. Yeah. yeah, a little movie called The Godfather. Well, well, he lives he lived right down the street from where I live right now. I, I don't live in Beverly Hills. When I say down the street, mm-hmm. I mean down Sunset, about a mile and a half. Right. Uh, I'm in Hollywood. He lives down there. 
Uh, and uh, we had a mutual friend, uh, um, a, a woman named Melissa Prophet, uh, who worked for him. And I'll never forget, he, he called me about one o'clock in the morning. He said, uh, Dobson. I go, yeah. He goes, uh, it's Bob. I go, Evans? He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, I got to tell you something. I said, what's that? He goes, The Merry Man is the best film I've ever seen. Can you come over to my house? Let's talk about it. And then after we're done, I'll, I'll show you The Godfather and I'll narrate it for you. Before he finished his last fucking sentence, I was off the phone in my car. And I went to Bob Evans' house, sat in bed with him, and we watched The Merry Man. And I would tell him shit that I remember while we're watching the film. I couldn't wait for the movie to be over because I wanted to get into The Godfather. (laughs) And we did. And then (laughs) then after I told him like this scene and that scene and, you know, uh, he slapped on The Godfather and (laughs) I had a live, a live narrator, Bob Evans, sitting on his bed with him watching The Godfather. Oh, wow. Greatest experience of my life. Did he mention night. anything interesting about the Godfather that maybe many of us don't know? Or uh, there's quite a. I, I would say he fought vigorously with, as you know, Coppola. Mm-hmm. Uh, the studio wanted Ryan O'Neill uh, for the Pacino. They they right. uh, vigorously wanted. They 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 wanted nothing to do with Al Pacino. Uh, uh, you remember in those days, I think uh, Pacino had, had a panic needle. Panic in Needle Park, I believe uh, he was still relatively unknown. Right. Um, but Bob, you know, there's a lot of stories about him fighting with uh, with Copeland. They, they might be true, but Evan, but Evan says otherwise. Um, the stories vary. But look, I was there. I was in bed with the guy, <laughs> <laughs> literally. Uh, and he said, "No, he 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 said he pulled for Pacino all the way." And and he and when the scene. He said the scene when uh, Michael is in the in the uh, in the restaurant uh, before they shoot that when he goes when he excuses himself and go to the bathroom. That scene when they come in and then they come up Pacino's face as a guy's talking and you know Pacino's just in a different world because he's about to blow his brains out. Mm-hmm. He said that's when they knew. That's that that was the scene that the studio said we're keeping him. And of course, having Evans tell the story while you're watching the movie. <laughs> right, right. Had, what a treat. Buddy, he had the gift of gab like no other. And he would say, <laughs> Dobson, guilt is the mafia of the mind. Remember that. And I go, Jesus Christ. Wow. How much coke you do tonight, Bob? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking brilliant. And uh, just things like that. Um you know, right down to Jimmy Conn was on from the very start, the, the stuff with Brando. Believe it or not, the studio the studio didn't want Brando either. Um, Why? They, they, and it, you got to remember, back in those days, Brando at that point, by the late 60s, was, uh, was pretty much untouchable. Uh, he was a notorious, apparently, pain in the ass, whatever, but mm-hmm. his movies, uh, which I tend to differ from. People don't know that Brando actually went to Europe and made a string of great films, man. Uh, one called Appaloosa. I believe I'm getting it. I hope I'm getting the, the title right. Yeah, the Appaloosa. Uh, yeah, uh, with John Saxon, which I think is a wonderful movie. But um, uh, they had to pull, you know, obviously Coppola knew from the start, but he they had a huge tug of war with Brando. They didn't get the, you know, the, 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 the mouth and all that. And then, right. of course, you know, as they say, the rest is is is, is history. Now, you got to work with Dennis Hopper in a film that was never released. What do you remember about working with Dennis? The the rides in the van uh, on the way to set, talking about um, Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, I, I would pick his brain about James Dean, which he would love to talk about. A wonderful guy. Just, uh, you know, again, another crazy story with that movie. The, the movie actually came out really good. <clears throat> and that's where I... Uh, <clears throat> Got to be uh, quite friendly with Anderdice Clay. <laughs> I mean, this was like me, Frank Stallone, Anderdice Clay, Dennis Hopper, uh, Frank's brother, a little guy named Sylvester Stallone. D- yeah, did a cameo. Yeah. And what happened with that movie is that uh, upon its, uh, as they were selling it, they took it to Cannes, provided that they don't say advertise. It's not a Sylvester Stallone film. It's a Frank Stallone movie. <laughs> right. 
So the ad had a giant picture of Sylvester. He, uh, he mm. only had a, like a five minute cameo. Uh, and the scene was with, with, with my character. So I got to work huh. with him and that, that was an experience I'll never forget. But, but anyway, Stallone got wind of it and uh, sued his own brother's movie and won. And the movie never came out. Didn't the producers kind of figure out that, hey, if we have is his name in the poster, we're going to get sued and, and, and it will never get released? Uh, buddy, you know, you would think logically, like, but obviously someone didn't. You know, I mean, no. it, it, you know, that was even in Stallone's contract. Don't advertise me. This is my brother's movie. I'm helping him out. I'm going to come in and do a cameo and that's it. But the marketing department, they went against it and they they found out the hard way that Sylvester Stallone and rightfully so. Uh, you know, came after them legally. Now, I finally saw the film, and the movie's friggin' hilarious. Uh, it, it's a shame that the film never came out. But again, story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember working with Andrew Dice Clay on that film? What, what is he like in reality versus, you know, his stand-up act? <clears throat> Dice is a, is a big kid. Um, <laughs> it was like working with a baby. He, uh, Basically, what happened was well, when we were filming, Frank Stallone basically thought we were making on the waterfront. <laughs> and one day, Andrew knocks on my door and he's like, hey, Dobson, um, we're going to try something a little different today. I said, I go, what are you talking about? He goes, you'll see. I go, what are you, you going to do? He goes, you'll see. So Frank Stallone has this giant monologue, very dramatic you know, monologue on, on like the eighth or ninth hole. because the movie takes place on a golf course. And by the, you know, the ninth or 10th hole, they, they are the 18th, whatever. They have to knock me off at some point to kill me. That's why they take me on this golf course and all this. Right. It's kind of like Caddyshack. It was like, but for mobsters, mm -hmm. uh, I should, I should say Caddyshack because it wasn't designed really to be a comedy. So as Frank on camera, is doing his big monologue that he rehearsed weeks to do. And he's doing the monologue to my character. Right. right? We're on the master shot. <laughs> and Dice walks behind him on camera <laughs> and starts imitating Frank Stallone with, with Frank having no idea that he's doing it. Or the, <laughs> the weird cigarette, the way Frank smoked the cigarette. Right. <laughs> and I, I lost it. God, <laughs> Frank is like, what the fuck you doing, Dobson? What are you doing? It's like, I'm like, you don't understand. And, I, 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 and Dice is like, don't say nothing. Like, it's awesome. so now I'm the I'm the bad guy, you know? Right. So the movie kind of went on like that, and it it unintentionally turned into a comedy. And whoever cut it together did a great job. All these great cameos from Dennis Hopper and, oh, God, uh, you know, the guy from The Sopranos. Uh, God, every, uh, uh, Vinci, Vinnie Panzianzo was in it. Uh, it's in Pastore? Uh, was Pastore in it? No, he wasn't. It. You know, the guy from The Sopranos with the gray hair on the sides. What, what, what's his name? Oh, Tony Sirico. Tony Sirico, yep. Yeah. So we started shooting in Mexico. We shot in Miami. We shot in Los Angeles. I mean, it was a big production. But... um. You know, again, the, the 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 marketing genius decided to, you know, advertise Stallone as the star, and the movie just got shelved. And that's a story on that one. But I got to meet Dennis Hopper. Wow. <laughs> and 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 Dice and I uh, have remained friends. Matter of fact, I had met Dice prior to that too. When I back to the Sing story, I screen tested for that, and Dice. I screen tested with Dice. That's where that's where I first huh. met him. He was at the height of his career. He just done Madison right. Square Garden, uh, and he was going to play my brother in in Sing. It was all set, mm -hmm. and uh, last minute decision. They they instead of shooting Sing, which takes place in Brooklyn, New York, right? Even in those days, for tax reasons, they went they shot it in Toronto, so they went for a local hire instead, and Dice wound up not doing it. Um, which is a shame. And the guy who played my brother was great, but, but, but uh, 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 Dice and I, uh, to this day, uh, are very close friends. I don't talk to him as much as I'd like to, but, but we were still, he was, he's kind of like a big brother to me uh, for a very long time. In fact, I did what I, he, he had a show called Dice on and <laughs> he says, Hey Dobson, I'm doing an Elvis episode. That's why I'm calling you. You're going to do it. 
<laughs> and I said, okay, and it was bad luck, Elvis, an Elvis impersonator, that every time Dice is losing money, the Elvis impersonator is a gambler, but he brings bad luck to Dice, so Dice keeps throwing him out of the casino. <laughs> it was a funny episode. Um, that, that's the last time we'd worked together. I think it was like 2016, and I think that show last, it's kind of like Curb Your Enthusiasm, but Yeah, Dice, I remember it, yeah. You know. It was a funny show. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, yeah. So so Dice was uh, uh, another uh, very very close dear friend. Um, nothing like his persona, other than. <laughs> well, no, he's nothing like. But when I say he's he's like a big baby, he really is. He's like he, he's like a little four year old kid in real life. Still is. <laughs> <laughs> he's he, he's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> When you, you spend a night with Dice, you know, you, you, he, he's, he's just so naturally funny. I'm not talking about the Hickory Dot shit, just him right. himself. He's just so funny. Um, and I would come back home with migraine headaches from laughing so hard being with him all day. I, sometimes I, I, I couldn't go because I knew I'd always come back with a splitting headache because he, he's so goddamn funny. And, and by the way, a great actor, um, you know, outside the comedy thing. Um, if, if you remember that show Vinyl, I think it was. Scorsese uh, had brought him on uh, and he was, he literally stole that show. I don't know if you, he played a character with the sideburns or whatever, but with long hair and all that drug dealer and they killed him off. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm, and, 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 you know, and Scorsese, I mean, Andrew, Andrew is a great, great actor. In fact, I just lost a role to him. There's a thing called Pam and Tommy coming out. I went back several times and then I didn't get it. I go, well, who got it? And I found out Dice got it. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to lose to anybody, I'm losing to the king because because he is he is a great great actor. He really is. Dice was like Brando good. I've seen his shit. Yeah, he was great in Blue Jasmine and in the Blue Star Jasmine. is Born. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Worked with Woody Allen exactly. Blue yeah. Jasmine, uh, uh, and a few a few other things. And you know, of course, he goes back I th- with Michael Mann too. Uh, he had he, yeah. had he had done Crime Story. Now you've directed feature films and you've directed a music video. Uh, what, what is the just, difference? Uh, yeah, just well, just short so far. I, I, right. I, uh, the, 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 well, buddy, uh, honestly, not 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 in my world. Um, not much. Um, the, the, this music video I did, I shot it as as, as I was I was shooting a film. In fact, that was that was my whole intent. Um, you remember back in the days when Michael Jackson like bad? There was always a pre-story before, like, from Martin Scorsese, right? When he, he there was yeah. this pre, it was like West Side Story in the subway mm-hmm. um, before he broke into the song. And I wanted to do something like that, make it like a film, which is exactly what I did. And I opened it up with the scene and the kid getting hung up on a pole and all the greasers around the car and having their dialogue and whatnot. And then the hero comes in and, uh, and then I cut to the band, these guys on the guitar saying, hey, it's kind of boring here. It kind of sucks. You guys feel like jamming and boom, we break into the to this music video. Um and I shot the music video as uh, with a little bit more sensibility in the style of, of, of the song. Uh, but when I got into editing, I didn't want to get it too much out of the realm of, of, of the, uh, uh, the movie, the, the short film itself. I didn't want to do too many fancy cuts and all of that. I, I, I wanted to try to keep it in the reality of, 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 of the music video. So in, in this particular case, it was just like making a, a film all over again from beginning to end. And uh, I learned a few, and I always learn, buddy. I, I, I look, I'm no, I'm no fucking Martin Scorsese. I always learn, and that's why I keep making these short films and music videos and, and so forth, is because it, it teaches me. I, I always right. learn something new, you know. And if I, if I made, if I'd made Asbury Park five years ago, I and mean, that's, that's what you say to keep yourself going. I wouldn't know as much then as I do now, but I just want to make it before I turn ninety. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like Quentin Tarantino says, the best way to teach yourself how to make a movie is to make a movie. He's the best film school of all is 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 making films. And there's a lot of. A lot of kids today, I mean, there's there's one advantage what the kids have now, Uh, you know, they you can make movies on your goddamn on your on your Apple phones. And um, I I can't believe some of the production value I'm seeing on these things. I, I, I was I was at the screening and I was so impressed how the car would pull up and then the, without cutting 
it would go into the next car and I ran into the filmmaker, the kid. Right. And I go, buddy, what kind of budget did you, how'd you do that? Did you do a special effect there? He goes, no, I just passed the cell phone to the next guy in the car. <laughs> I go, what? <laughs> My music video, I'm using car, you know, I'm using car mounts and all right. that. You know, because I, I still like to shoot on the red. That's my favorite camera. I, I, shit, if I had my way, I'd still shoot on a Panavision on 35 millimeter. But um, the, 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 uh, but kids today, uh, as a, for young filmmakers, this is a dream come true for these guys. I mean, they got TikTok and they got all this other stuff where they can, uh, you know, showcase their talents. So good on them. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm blown away by it. Yeah, it's, it's amazing now, even in the special effects arena, how you got these kids and they'll just sit in their room and just you know teach themselves how to create CGI composited images, you got it. creature and, effects, and these kids all that. They're nine years old. Yeah, they're like nine years old. I have a niece and she's like, hey, Uncle Peter. Uh, I go, what do you know? And she's, she, she was doing all the, uh, the editing herself. They, they know how to edit on their phones. I'm uh-huh. like, I, I, and I, I don't even know how to operate a cell phone like that, Bell, to this day. I'm a complete imbecile on a cell phone. <laughs> I, I really am. I'm blown away with these, what these kids are doing with their phones, especially if they have complete festivals now where the category is iPhones. And the production value is unbelievable. It's unbelievable what some of these kids are doing. Kudos to them. Yeah. Now, throughout your career, you've always been cast as gangsters and you've always been cast as Elvis Presley. Do you feel this kind of casting is maybe taking your career to a level that maybe yeah. you didn't want to go to? Or are you happy with you know, the, the status? Yeah, it, it, it's, that's funny. It, it, either How many actors can say that you're a mafioso or, or Elvis? <laughs> <laughs> it was one or the other, but you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, yeah there, there's no doubt about it. Um, uh, you know, we're actors. Um, my dream is to always, you know, do a Western and, you know, like, like the wild bunch, something like that. Um, you know, buddy, I'm, I'm past all of that now. I, you know, I've, I've had my ups. I've certainly had my downs, more downs than ups in this business. Cause I've been here so long. Um, I, I'm just very fortunate that, uh, right now, uh, I, I really don't look back on it now. I, uh, um, you know, what, 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 what I could have and should have done in certain scenarios, uh, to, 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 to expand my horizons, you know, all those years in acting class, I'm playing gangsters and greet, you know, and, and, and and Elvis, (laughs) it's all about Elvis, Elvis of all people. (laughs) You you look like Elvis. I, I I totally get it. Three years of the dramatic arts and I keep playing Elvis impersonators. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but there, there is, um, you know, every actor has their niche. Um, I certainly hope there's one or two left in me where I, I can certainly and most willingly want to break out of that, uh, stigma, you know, um, but I'm so preconceived with this project. I'm, 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 I'm a madman with this project. Um, you know, create, creating something is, um, you know, outside the short films and everything, you know, this would be my feature debut. And it's certainly been the best and worst experience of my life. I've, we've had two false starts already. I, I almost had it off the ground back in 20. I had the movie cast with Joe Pesci. Um, Joe Pesci. Oh, you got him to read the script? No, I didn't get to read the script. He, he, he called me late at night and said, uh, we have it because me and him have the same manager. And he goes, listen, Dobson, I didn't want to like this script, but he goes, I like it. He goes, take my name. You got me, but only for a limited time. So I, we put everything together. And then at the last minute, one of my investors fell through. And the project went belly up. I, lo- I lost the entire project. That was, I, I don't need to get the first time why it happened, but that mm-hmm. was the last time. Uh, after massive casting, I saw every actor in town. Uh, and then uh, after that movie, after the movie, after uh, we lost our, our financing, me and my producing partner said, Jesus, let's just, let's just both move on. And uh, it was, it's heartbreaking. And then a year goes by and, you know, we just love this project so much. Like you, you want to try this, try this one more time without getting, cause you know, it's, I'm not so worried about getting, it's not so much about getting egg in your face, 
but right. it, my story is no different than it, so many other stories. Movies with false starts, losing their money. This this mm-hmm. this story goes with thousands of projects over the years, oh, yeah. so even we're, with we're, big names. With the, yeah. Robert Duvall still has a script that he can't sell. I mean, it, right. it goes on and on. But when you have something that you believe in, or you're just so driven by it, uh, it's you know it's a tough sell. It's a it's 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 a period piece. Um, you know, it's it's not nothing to do with today's culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's not an LGBTQ movie. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't have kids with cell phones. I got kids. Hey, you know, they're beating the shit at each other. By the, it's 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 really a kind of a tip of the hat to the outsiders. Uh, if you remember that film, yeah. Um, it's it's more in the, it's more in that genre, mm-hmm. um, uh, mixed in kind of with like American graffiti vibe because we have a lot of cars in it and so forth. Uh, in Asbury back in the day, they had a thing called the Circuit, where on weekends all the top muscle cars would come into the Jersey Shore and have these these races, and the cops would turn their heads to this, and there was big money in these things. Mm. Um, it, but the, it's not just about drag racing; that's just right. one element. It's also about Asbury Park, so you have the obviously the music element. It's not about Bruce Springsteen either, by the way. Um, actually, Bruce Springsteen's from Freehold, but it's right at that. The, the, the reason Bruce Springsteen was attracted to Asbury Park, he used to hitchhike from Freehold because of the music scene, because of the car culture. That's why Born to Run is a masterpiece, because Bruce, did, no, not many people know, Bruce didn't, didn't know how to drive a car. This is true. He, he, he would have to hitchhike. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would go into Asbury Park and, and play places like the Student Prince and all the, but there was a giant music scene there prior to him with the Rolling Stones, the Doors, everybody who was anybody played Asbury Park, New Jersey. It was a, it's a huge music venue. So this movie has that backdrop too. Uh, of course, we mentioned Bruce in it. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to, obviously. You know, right. see, his name, see his name on a marquee in the background and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but um, so there's a lot of, it's very music oriented too, um, you know, with a lot of great music and rock and roll and greasers and rockers and rumbles on the beach and all that stuff. Uh, right now we're in the midst of lowering the budget for the, you know, we, have, we have people licking at it. They just saw, I said, fine, let's lower the budget and let's try to get it done. So God willing, three times the charm, we'll get this done for next year. Well, I'm rooting for you. Thank you. Uh, how, how did you get Pesci to read the script because I know it's difficult you know, yeah. to actually look at stuff. Oh, uh, again, uh, I, I actually known Joe for, for years. We, we had the same manager. Uh, her name is Melissa Prophet. In those days, she was my manager. Uh, and, right. But to this day, we're, we're great friends. We speak just about every night. Uh, and same with Joe. Uh, so that was our mutual. So I, I would have dinners at Joe's house and whatnot and stuff like that. Never in a million years would I bother him with the script. It was not a, on my radar. Um, but one day, I, 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 I don't know where I mustered up the courage. And I, I, I said, uh, Joe, uh, he goes, are you going to tell me about that fucking Asbury Park script again? <laughs> I, go, <laughs> I go, how'd you? He goes, I just, he goes, you know how I knew? Because you never asked me. <laughs> I said, he goes, but you're asking me now, aren't you? He goes, all right, I'll read the fucking thing. And uh, that's exactly what he said. Word for word. Okay, I'll read the fuck. <laughs> Makes you feel really good. And two days later, he called me late at night and said I didn't and 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 liked it very much. But we had limited time with him. <clears throat> you know, outside of us, you, you, you're going to find it's hard to believe. Outside investors, you know, I'm not Martin Scorsese. You know, Joe's name has a lot more value. But I still had to get other names attached to this project outside of the legendary fucking Joe Pesci. I still had to go after other names. It was crazy. Our industry is so nuts. Your head will explode. But uh, like I said, we, we had him for a limited time. I was, uh, um, and, uh, and then we lost our financing. And uh, that, that was that. But, uh, you know, we push forward and move on and I'll, I'll get someone else. I have a few people. I'm not going to say who, but I, there's a few actors I, I, I have in mind who I'll, who I'll approach once we're done with our, uh, with our final budget. You know, you got to make these budgets lower in even today's world. You know, I, I got to keep coming down and coming down. And I said, pretty, what am I going to do? Shoot. Maybe I should shoot this fucking movie with an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> I actually said that in a meeting last week. Uh, I said, the other kids are <laughs> like, what are we talking about? Why don't we just get my freaking iPhone? Teach me how to use it. And we'll make it with this. <laughs> I go, everybody, every, every other 15 year old is, <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, so, so, uh, 
like I said, three times a charm. And, and um, you know, we're back at the drawing board with the one more time. And I, I think this time will hopefully, God willing, be successful. And I, you know, like I said, buddy, you got to be a maniac to, 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 to stay in this business. You really do. It's, it's not, it's every cliche you hear. This one, this business is not for the faint of heart. And uh, as you, you hear the same story over, you know, for years, you know, back in the day, you know, it's a turnstile. There's so many people I've seen come and go and, and very few stay, you know, I mean, obviously you have Brad Pitts and all those guys, right. but, but believe it or not, but I mean, as you know, everybody's starting to get long on the tooth now, but there's a whole new generation. There's no really, there's no more movie stars anymore. There's no, like I said, outside the usual, you know, George Clooney's and Brad Pitts right. and so forth. Um, uh, but on TikTok, they're huge. And now <laughs> and I'm learning about this whole other generation on TikTok. And these guys are making million dollar deals and they're signing with CAA. And I'm like, you mean the guy that talks like a cat? He's with CAA now? <laughs> He's bigger than half. Now, back in 2016, I won't mention their names. These actors were asking for big money. Now that we've coming out on the other side of this pandemic, None of them are worth the money, the paper they're written on. Everything's changed. Everything has changed now. There's no right. such thing as a marquee name. God, we don't know if, if movies, I think I think the theaters are going to make a comeback. I really mm-hmm. do. I know certain ones are open now, but when this pandemic is finally over, I think people are going, all going to race to the movies again. I really do. I strongly believe. I, God, I hope I'm right. Look, look at the box um, office numbers in the last few weeks. It's already coming back. You, I, <laughs> like that, uh, like a, a great actor, Tom Hardy. They're, 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 right. Uh, yeah, I mean, look what he just did with that Venom film, which was just, you know, a juggernaut. And that's, and yes, that that's a, a great sign of, of, yeah, people want to go back to the movies. We just got to, we got to end this, this nonsense with this pandemic. This, this thing is, is, has been ridiculous for so many, but, but the industry uh, is starting to bounce back now, like you said, thank God. Well, before we end this interview, can you give us some words of wisdom? <laughs> Words of wisdom. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, if you, the only, like any job and it, our business or any other business, I, I think the only thing I could say, find something that you love, whether it's a plumber, a carpenter, when you love your job, you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to die a happy person. Um, I hope that makes some sort of sense Uh, coming from a guy that's miserable 90% of the time, like me lately. However, at the end of the day, I always take a breath and I say, but thank God I'm still doing this. There's nothing else I'd rather do as insane as it is. Just love what you do. And, and, um, you know, there's a lot of people who hate their jobs and, and whatnot, especially what's going on now, people being unemployed and, it's a very scary time. I, I don't want to come up preaching to anyone. Um, you know, again, people are losing their jobs right now because of these mandates, COVID. I, I'm very scared. What's what, you know, look, mandating is one thing. When you mess with a guy, you know, a union worker in Michigan about feeding his family and taking away his job because he doesn't want to get a shot, buddy, that's not going to end well. We're, we're on the cusp of something. Look at Australia right now. I know you want me to leave words of wisdom, but I'm just saying, be careful for just, just be careful right now. Wear a, wear a helmet because we might need one in the next couple of months. Well, Peter, thank I you. Hope that made sense. It made sense. <laughs> well, Peter, thank you so much for being my guest this evening. This has been a great interview. Great, man. Well, it was a, it was a great hour that we spent of me blabbing again. Thank you, pal. I really appreciate the time. I really do. I appreciate you being here. Have a great one. All right, man. We'll talk soon enough, pal. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that about wraps it up for our interview with Peter Dobson. Now, before we end this episode, I just want to remind you that if you love the show and you want us to grow in popularity, you can help us do that by rating and reviewing this podcast. You can leave us a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever platform you stream and download podcasts from. You can even leave a review of our podcast on our website at whatacharacterpodcast.com. 
Just click on Rate Show and you'll be taken to a page where you can give your critique of the show. And while you're there, you can even donate to our podcast by clicking on the PayPal link and submitting your desired amount. And don't forget to subscribe to our email mailing list if you want to receive email alerts about upcoming shows or even receive email-exclusive episodes of our show. You can do this by typing in your name and email address on the right side of the homepage and clicking on subscribe. Now, if you want to reach out to us, please feel free to do so. If you have any guest suggestions or you just want to tell us how great you think the show is, you can do so by sending us an email at westgrovemedia at gmail.com. You could even leave us a voice message on the show website by clicking on the microphone button on the bottom right and recording a message. And please subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you stream and download podcasts from. And if you watch us on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And hey, if you're watching this on YouTube right now, please give this video a like. All in all, your support will definitely help us not only make the podcast successful, but it will be greatly appreciated as well. Anyway, that about does it for this episode of What a Character. Join us next week for our interview with the late, great Philip Baker Hall. In his final interview, Mr. Hall will talk about how he first met director Paul Thomas Anderson, how he overcame ageism in Hollywood, and how President Kennedy affected his career. It's all that and more on next week's What a Character. Thank you for listening and take it easy. Bye. Bannister, you can go. What the hell are you staring at? What's with the number? What number? Look, if you're trying to freak me out, it's not gonna work, okay? You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get more money out of us, is what he's trying to do. Get, get your shit. Get the hell out of my house. Come on. Move. Ray, just. Thank you so much. There you go. Thanks. Thank you. Why do you always have to alienate everybody?